Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about The Many Saints of Newark, the prequel movie to the uh, iconic series The Sopranos from HBO by creator David Chase. And to talk about this, I'm happy to be joined by my friend Graham Hall. Graham, how's it going? Josh, always my pleasure to join you and talk about movies whenever we have a chance to get to the theater, which as we were saying before we got on here, you know, has been a little bit less frequent for us, but luckily this is one of the many movies that it also has dropped on HBO Max. So we got a chance to see it over the weekend. Uh, and it's always my pleasure to be here and talk all whatever movie drops with you, man. Well, it sounds like you weren't uh, honoring David Chase's wishes. You know, he is uh, very much a proponent of the silver screen and wanted everyone to do that. So don't let him know that you watched it on your, a smaller screen. <laughs> I thought it was, a t- you know, it, being, being a TV series, I know HBO, he probably felt he settled in a sense for that, but I felt like watching it on TV and I got to watch it with my parents also and my girlfriend, you know, where we could all talk in a room which i know is kind of horrible yeah but it's also very italian in a sense a lot of people talking you're right it was part of the experience yeah exactly thank you (laughs) you know but i also do i would like to see it again in theaters but we'll get to that more here in a minute yeah, so The Many Saints in Newark uh, is set in 1967 as a prequel to the television show, or actually set across a couple of different years, uh, specifically 1967 and 1971 in Newark. It follows a lot of the same characters we know from the TV show and a couple of new ones. It actually, though, is, while maybe kind of marketed as a bit of a Tony Soprano origin story, to actually focus on a character who... Uh, whose presence was often alluded to on the Sopranos television show, but uh, ne- never actually seen. And that's Dickie Moltisanti, the uh, father of Christopher Moltisanti, who is obviously a very big presence in the television show. And often throughout the series, Dickie was mentioned as being a mentor to Tony. So uh, sure enough here, this movie uh, focuses on Dickie as he is uh, kind of, uh, you know, making his way and a bit of a stronger up and coming presence in the DeMeo crime family. He's played by Alessandro Nivola. And uh, after like a little bit of an intro to the movie where we hear a bit of a voiceover from Christopher as the camera pans onto his gravestone, we're then taken back in time as Dickie is leading young Tony Soprano uh, to a to to a uh, port to welcome home Dickie's father, Hollywood Dick Moltisanti, played by Ray Liotta and his new wife. He is imported from Italy, uh, Giuseppina. We're privy to a lot of the, you know, behind the scenes carousing and partying of what it was like to be a member of the mob at that point in time. And we see that Dickie is associates with a lot of characters we actually know from the show, uh, whether that be Corrado Jr. Soprano, played by Corey Stoll, or Silvio Dante, played by John Magaro, Polly Walnuts, played by Billy Magnuson, Pussy Bop and Saro, and also a new creation for the show, a close associate of Dickie's in the beginning, a black man named Harold McBrayer who is played by Leslie Odom Jr., who ends up having to go flee for the intervening years of this movie due to a murder warrant. But he comes back during the 1971 part of this movie with his own agenda. Also, I should mention, we also see uh, Tony's father, Johnny Boy Soprano, played by the great John Bernthal, and his mother, Olivia Soprano, who is played by Vera Farmiga. So a few new faces, a bunch of new faces, a couple new characters, and a lot of characters returning in different forms. Uh, Graham, I know you're a big fan of the Sopranos. If I, if I, I, I know you just 
kind of finish your own rewatch, I was able to just rewatch the first two seasons. I got around to it too late. And I, when I thought it was going to be more of a Tony Soprano origin story, I made those first two seasons a priority because like I, I knew that Livia was going to be in it. And those are the two seasons she features more prominently. And who knows, maybe I would have jumped around a little more if I'd known it was going to focus so much on Dickie because his history and ultimately plays a bigger part in some of the later seasons. But I'll ask you, Graham, as someone that is a big Sopranos fan, when you hear they're doing a prequel movie, uh, what did you want to get out of it as you kind of thought, okay, we're going back in time in this world. What were you hoping to get out of that as someone that I'm sure had some pretty high expectations for this movie? It's a good question. I, I don't know what exactly I went into expectation wise, what I was looking to get out of it so much. And I think that was for the best in a sense, because I really didn't have massive expectations or really expected to see them, you know, fill in every gap because, you know, I knew ultimately it was just a two hour movie. And if anything was just going to be another slice of the story and if done effectively would leave you wanting more. So going in kind of with that expectation, I, that baseline, I think was really helpful in the sense, but I got to be honest, man, I got to, I got to give you a little bit of truth of context around how I watched, you know, I have seen the Sopranos twice and both of my times watching, I got to say I was paying only half attention, which is horrible. That's a horrible admission. You know, my first time that I watched, I was younger. And so I, and I wasn't, wasn't watching it with subtitles, which is how I watch most of everything now. Same. Completely honest just to help me understand and and then my second time watching i watched it on an ipad and just yeah did not get that yeah right i know i can understand i can feel you already smirking at me i can feel david chase just frowning disapprovingly at you i mean to be honest i watched those first i watched i read i did my rewatch on my ipad also while on the bike at the gym and i probably watched the first time on my laptop i'm not always the best at you know watching like tv shows on an actual tv but like when i go I, but i am good at like like i told you before going to the movies for the hbo max stuff so i can right. I get some i get some credit there but i'm more curious what you mean by how you happen to t- play half attention though this year my my partner and i my longtime girlfriend and i you know she sees the movie trailers and finally gives in and says that she wants to watch the sopranos so this was our third my my third watch was this year and oh okay and about four and a half months ago and we are only midway through season four so we but my parents are out you know i'm I'm gonna flash forward to right right now you know the movie comes out and we haven't finished we are behind and my parents you know we really wanted to watch with them because they're you know you know, getting up there in age, in their 70s now, early 70s, and, you know, they're not going to the movie theater, so we wanted to go over there and watch with them. But we hadn't finished. <clears throat> so I'm thinking it's a prequel. You know, what really can get spoiled? And you mentioned that port scene. We are watching the beginning, and the voiceover is by Christopher Maltasanti. Yeah, even, but you, even before you get to the port scene, you see his freaking gravestone. <laughs> I, yeah, so you absolutely realize. And, you know... You see his gravestone. Doesn't he explicitly say Tony choked me out or something? 
you know yeah so he reveals how it happened there's you know, <laughs> that's you hilarious can't watch the movie and and so now we're gonna attempt to continue this rewatch and finish but yeah and you know there's a few other things that are spoiled as well through the fantastic voiceover yeah um by chris but it is absolutely a movie that you have to go in being a Sopranos fan in my mind and having finished the Sopranos because the context, the complexity of the plot, knowing who each character is and what later becomes of them, I think is how you fully, um, not to jump ahead here, but that was, I think, one of the things that if I had known going in that it really took a comprehensive and I would even say recent history like you mentioned of some of that later stuff to go in and really be a, a huge fan of um it, yeah that, that kind of would have changed my expectation in a sense well i was that, that's funny you say that because i was going to ask an, a separate question of you later as to like whether you whether you think this movie would work on its own for someone that had never seen the sopranos and because david chase i think wanted that to be the case and thinks and i mean i was listening to an interview with him where he said he thinks it does he's obviously kind of biased and i, sh I should mention i don't think i did earlier he, I, I mentioned he created the series he he wrote the movie and it was directed by alan taylor who is a a, a frequent director of sopranos episodes but uh so you think uh, you think this movie really only works if you have seen the series though at first i thought that yeah, maybe it's a really good standalone movie. You, you know, maybe it could even entice people into wanting to watch The Sopranos, but it's either kind of one or the other. Either you've fully seen The Sopranos or you watch the movie and it really, and if you haven't seen The Sopranos, it really kind of, I guess, spoils in a sense some of the major payoffs in the end. And what you mentioned with Dickie Moltisanti, the complexity of their relationships, a lot of that I think is furthered completely by what you see in the show. So can you watch it separately? Yes. Is it much better when you've seen the show? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, I think, it, I think it's a very, I think it's a well-made movie. I think even some of the stuff where they're depicting the, uh, the riots in Newark in the late sixties, like that, I think some of those are done on a bigger scale than a lot of set pieces ever were in the Sopranos. So I think it's well-made and it's a, on its own, it's probably, it's, it's like a fine gangster movie. And there's just, but like, if you've seen the show, there's just going to be a lot more things that are rewarding. And, and I think some people have been a little critical of the movie saying it, you know, it's a little fan servicey in ways that the original show would have never have dared to be. But I mean, look, I, I, I don't know exactly what, Sometimes I'm, I'm not exactly sure what they mean by that because, yeah, maybe there's a music cue here or they have shout outs to some of the characters uh, here and there. And maybe like, you know, I think part of it might be like some people are critical of like, oh, you just like threw young Carmela in there just to do it to say you did it. And like, I kind of get that, but it's not like that distracting or anything like that and and just like kind of knowing the world a little bit and just knowing what it looks like in the 90s it's fun to see it in the 60s because in the show tony talks a lot about how the good old days were better and uh i'm my my not so hot take on it though is that i i left this thinking like why couldn't they have just done like a like an eight episode miniseries on hbo that was what i left the thing thinking because i think that gives the that gives a lot of these storylines a little more room to breathe and uh, would just be more fulfilling, whereas it feels like the movie needs to jump around a lot. And that was kind of like my one criticism. Uh, my bigger criticism is criticism is like, look, in a vacuum, this is fine. But I could see a version of this because all of these actors are really great that like 
I just enjoy it a lot more if it is all has a little bit more room to expound on basically every aspect of it. Uh, and and that was basically what I thought, because I think it does kind of work as a Tony Soprano origin story, even though Tony is uh, is is not that prominently featured one. Like, I think I mentioned before, he's, he's played by Michael Gandolfini, the son of James Gandolfini, who does like a really good job. And I like learning about his relationship with Dickie. And you, you, you get a really good sense of like how Tony could have things could have gone a little differently for him if he had been looking up to a different presence in life. And that's all well and good. But like this movie has a lot else going on that like, you know, I don't think necessarily has the room to develop in the way it could. I don't know uh, what your ultimate big takeaway was, but like, what, do you think the movie, aside from like, you know, being something that like, yeah, I like Sopranos content, so I'm going to like this. Do you think it worked on another level for you beyond that? I, I want to say I could definitely have envisioned it being longer, mm-hmm. but then some of the plots with Leslie Odom Jr.'s character would have felt, I think, a little more unnecessary just because it's it's okay to introduce characters we haven't seen before in a movie, in my opinion, but new characters that are vital to the plot in a miniseries, I think, tend to be sometimes, I think, hit or miss would be a term that I would use. I don't and- know if we have any precedent, though, for a movie then having a prequel miniseries, though. Is, I, you know, so it's funny you say that because I was going to say the exact opposite where it's like I wanted more of that guy and I wanted more of his story and how he ends up kind of it's being implied at the end of this movie coming out on top. Yeah, we've had a lot of pieces of film that have been extremely well done recently about what occurred in the late 1960s in a lot of these places. And if you've seen... the the movie Detroit Mm -hmm. recently that depicted the Detroit riots of 1967 and the Newark riots that are the historical setting for the many saints of Newark, you know, an entirely absolutely, you know, complete thing that happened in this country. And, you know, you could spend hours and hours depicting the other side of what was happening in the 1960s opposite of the Italian crime mob in in that area. Ultimately, I think it does, not, not to be insensitive in any way, it does kind of, I think, take away some from the Sopranos story mm-hmm. because you would like to have more character background on people like Silvio rather than the actor portraying him kind of really being, I guess, a caricature in a sense by doing the walk and (laughs) the voice. And, you know, you could have spent more time, I think, giving background on a lot of the characters in The Sopranos rather than delving off and into a very interesting topic that you also could devote far more time to on a movie. So, you know, if they were going to have, I think, that plot line, like I said, yeah, it could be hit or miss with Leslie Odom Jr.'s character, but it could absolutely be much better, that plot line, in a miniseries. I agree with you. But uh, yeah, doing it in the little amount that I think that they did, it was vital to the plot, obviously, and I think was well executed. But I understand the argument for some people that they would have liked more background about all of the um, supporting characters in Tony Soprano's crew. Yeah, again, like, let's say you do a miniseries, like, I mean... 
and it's funny because I think a lot of the I've read a lot of interviews with the actors that are in this, and a lot of them like really, really love the experience, and were like, I would totally sign up for more. Though I don't know if David Chase actually wants to do that, so that's why it would probably never happen. But if you just did a regular like ten episode miniseries, like you could have a I don't know I mean it might sound better in theory than in practice, but if so, you could have a Silvio episode or something like that, or you could have a Paulie episode where you know I mean Paulie had like a couple episodes in the show that were. He got to be a little more of a main focus. So I honestly, I don't even know if Silvio really ever did. And that, that, that could be a thing you could spend an episode doing if it was done right. Cause you know, a lot of mini series or television shows will do like a digression episode with a character like that. Uh, my thing was that, you know, I, I, and I'm not going to keep harping on this because the fact is it's not a mini series, but my thing with the, my thing with the Herald character was that, you know, I think the original show, it got it got some criticism for just not ever handling race all that well. Like there's there's stuff to be mined there that I'm not even super qualified to talk on about how the mob has historically interacted with the African American community in different ways, and the show is fairly hit and miss about that and mostly miss. And I'm like, if you're gonna come do this in a show, I, if you're gonna come do this in uh, the movie and introduce this character, I wanted uh, I I don't know I, I think I wanted more about how they actually interacted on the whole. Uh, with the African-American community, whereas this is kind of implied that Dickie didn't actually uh, treated him as an underling, and then he just kind of grew resentful. I thought an interesting example of that was when they are driving, where, where Pussy and Polly are driving through during the riots, and Polly has the idea like, hey man, uh, go break that storefront, steal that TV. Of course they're going to blame it on these rioters. And I kind of like the idea of seeing a little bit more of whether it be how Harold's interacting, but then how they are kind of treating them behind their back. And I thought that would have been kind of an interesting dynamic to explore at length a little more. Whereas it just kind of turns into this war that Harold decides to start, but it gets a little preoccupied, understandably so, because it's uh, look, it's the it's really the Dickie Moltisanti story. It gets a, it kind of gets it just decides it's going to focus more on that. You, you have that one really great shootout scene at the restaurant, and after that, there's just like not a ton to it beyond Harold sleeping with Giuseppina and that kind of being a little bit of an impetus right there for Dickie to take some more action. But there's not a ton of Harold really after those couple moments. And I kind of thought that like, hey, there could have been a little more here that would have like um, in some ways driven the latter arc of a story here that it just the movie just understandably didn't have time to get to because if they just did a three hour movie and not a miniseries, we'd be complaining about how it was too long of a movie. Yeah, you know, I think it was the right length. Absolutely. You know, the pace of The Sopranos, where it feels like things are moving at a fast pace, but a lot of the slots, the shots are slow. It's just, you know, at the time, there was nothing really like that on television, the way that the show was scripted. And, and I think now a lot of television shows have emulated that to the point where <clears throat> the, the way that the movie was filmed is no longer considered as special as it was 20 some odd years ago, which is something I think we all have to, you know, deal with as well. If this movie were to come out 20 years ago and when the Sopranos was at its height, you know, kind of like what I guess shows like the South Park movie have done release movies midway through the TV series is run. It may would be, would be highly regarded because you'd get this, vital background and, and then return to the story in a sense the fact that you're looking at it through a lens of 20 years later i think it is kind of being perceived i think a little bit more harshly because we like what you just said can make this argument that a mini series with more information would be an actual option because of the rise of streaming services and and all this and that where 
in reality, coming back to this franchise 20 some years later was probably a financial risk for HBO, as we can see here with the box score coming out now, that it may justify what they, that they believed that, you know, a mini series was too much of a financial cost over a movie. Let's see if the interest is there before we have more, um, before we return to filming a show. I don't really know. Yeah, but I'm not too concerned about it. You know, that was just, again, that was just my an, an initial thought. Uh, but like, you know, it's a movie and we got to evaluate it as a movie. It was just like, that was my initial takeaway where it's like, look, I like this on its own and I just feel like it could have, you know, I, f- I feel like it could have had a little more room, a little more room to sp- spread its wings and fly in that format. But it just sounds like that was never really an option. They didn't have the money for it. Come on, combination. Maybe David Chase not wanting to have spend that much time on it. HBO not wanting to spend the kind of money that would require. And that's all fine. I, and I don't want to spell, spend too long even necessarily dwelling on that because, you know, uh, I, I think it I think it has a lot of redeeming qualities. And I feel like I'm getting a little too negative by even going there. I, that's why I kind of want to shift and just ask you, like, your initial reaction when you texted me after watching the movie was like, I really liked it. So I want to know what like really worked most for you about this movie. Was it just that you liked the world that much? Where do you want to start? Or was it uh, one of the storylines you found especially compelling or one of the performances you found especially compelling? Yeah, I did really like it would be my overall sentiment not that i thought it was perfect i guess when i say i really like it that's kind of like a b plus range for me you know 8.5 whatever you want to rank it like that i won yeah i really like the world i'm more of a sopranos guy than a godfather person if you were to ask me my preference for italian mom movies hmm. and or, you know where, where, does, where, where, where does goodfellas fit in there we got ray liotta yeah. in this movie probably lower than Okay. <laughs> the Godfather too. I mean, Sopranos is probably the top for me when I'm trying to watch something involving the mob. It's it's so complex. It's so well written. Uh, the dialogue, every scene really is tremendously done. And I'm, I'm realizing that more as I'm midway now through my, my third watch. I guess my first really authentic watch, even though I keep seeing things. Oh, I know what happens here. You know, know what happens here. But I liked how different it was and that i think you know everything i've kind of criticized the different plots new characters those are soprano staples i mean this is a show that had them go to college and tony thinks he sees an old fbi informant one episode or one episode you know they college is like college is like a a medium defining episode of television oh yeah that's a absolutely classic episode and but most of the best episodes were not, I think, linear parts of the plot where you didn't know what would happen next. You couldn't predict it. And I got a sense of that throughout this movie. I also, you know, having sat through a lot of trailers um, for this movie, enjoyed the Ray Liotta, I guess you could call it twist of him playing two characters, playing brothers. I know that some people didn't really understand that at first, but I thought he played it, like, pulled it off pretty well. Yeah, he was just, he was especially compelling as the as Sa- Uncle Sally, and who's been in prison for quite some time for killing a made guy. And Dicky uh, has a lot of guilt over the uh, the various people in his life that he kills that are close to him. And 
uh, thinks he can go reinvest in this other family member and uh, make him feel better about himself and convince himself he's a good person. And I mean, just how jaded and over it, uh, that ver- that character that Ray Liotta is playing is, is just very, very interesting to watch because it's unlike most Ray Liotta performances he is most known for. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. I think that Ray Liotta plays this, you know, rough exterior type character all the time. And some of his best roles are where he, he cracks that, that, or it's a facade, whatever you want to call that. And I thought that he did a good job, you know, one minute he's this guy you absolutely hate. And the next minute he, you're, you're listening to him uh, as he gives pretty, I don't know if you want to call it advice, but has some very philosophical musings to pass on to Dickie as he as he visits him and he realizes I think you see later in the film that you know two people in his life close to him have popped up dead um what a coincidence right that it's kind of like he is the pastor and Dickie is attempting to get saved by him and and to feel better about himself in a sense as if he's committing a good deed so he can go back to his life. And that I think has always been who Tony Soprano is in the show. And that's why he emulated him, Dickie Moltisanti. He, the Ray Liotta character, the brother was the therapist in this movie. He was the therapist. He was going to talk and confess his sins but not really tell the truth when he went to talk to this person and the person on the other side knew what he was doing all along while he was going out there and doing it but this is the key the parallels here with the sopranos therapy and in this movie were that tony soprano was not changed by therapy and Dickie Moltisanti, despite hearing and seeing what could actually happen to him, killing a made guy, living a lifestyle of murder, you could end up in here. He does not change. And that's why he was Tony Soprano before Tony Soprano was Tony Soprano. And that's what I liked about the movie. If you understood those parallels or saw it like that, that's how I viewed it. I think that you would have, you, you get more out of it as a viewer. But And that's why I think that you like the movie more, even despite what Chase says, if you've seen The Sopranos. Yeah, and... I, I mean, and we, we can all, we'll, we'll talk a little more about the, the Soprano side of the movie as opposed to the, the Moltisanti side of the movie. But I think there's a, certainly a lot of truth in that, in that Dickie is the Tony of this story. And he is someone that is at least likes the idea of talking about bettering himself, but, you know, is, is let down by his other impulses. And, and I, I think that was a good high point that you highlighted about, in a way, uh, uh, Sally being the therapist for him here, because a lot of people have already highlighted that, look, you kind of get the Melfi scene in a way with Tony, with his when Tony has to go talk to the guidance counselor at the school and then Livia does as well. But uh, again, with uh, Dickie being the Tony of the story, it's kind of interesting that he has that own vessel where he is going to unburden himself in the same way that Tony kind of does in the show, but not 100 percent, because a lot of things have to go on the set with Melfi. 
Uh, whereas <laughs> he's just kind of feels like he can talk about all the gangster stuff with Sally and even try and ask Sally like a favor later when Sally just kind of is like, nah, dude, I'm not doing that for you. I'm not trying to like get in with the, um, the, the nation of Islam in the prison on your behalf, which is, which is kind of, which is kind of funny. Cause like, as you kind of noted, he, when he starts hearing about the different people turning up dead, he kind of, he kind of sees through the bullshit a little bit. And what, 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 what do, so overall, like, it sounds like you did enjoy seeing, uh, Dickie navigate this world and you thought he was a compelling, uh, I almost don't want to say protagonist when someone's not exactly a good person, but uh, you thought he was a compelling lead character for this story overall? Yeah, because there were times I think when you wanted to root for him and sympathized with him and laughed with him. And that was Tony as well. James Gandolfini was so good at portraying Tony Soprano that you were lulled into thinking, you know, in Rooney at times and you would forget that this is you know a bad guy and you mentioned the Sopranos didn't really do a great job delving into race it made pretty clear in the early seasons that Tony Soprano and this isn't not just exclusive you know to an Italian thing obviously but it gets into how he is racist and doesn't want his daughter Meadow dating a black man when she goes to college and i you know i i think that the way that they explored the complexity of of characters has always been so unique that you're seeing every character as extremely flawed and if you go into, like you said, not looking at the main character as really a protagonist and thinking they have to do right the entire time, when you go into it like that, you enjoy movies like this or TV shows, I think, a little bit more because you're not really conflicted if what they're doing isn't the right thing or not. You're, you're seeing how this person navigates the circumstances around them. They have All, all these characters have a, a choice to between good and evil really in a sense and, and often make the choice that steers them towards i guess you could say uh bad criminality whatever word you want to use here and how that comes to be the circumstances around it i think are uh extremely compelling at times so the, the, well I, I you know I, I i would totally agree i think it's it's just interesting that like they they they, they seized on this one character that you know again somewhat who's some who's specter somewhat hung over the original show and were able to tell a story of that ilk uh but that being said like they they, they couldn't just like only go with like that corner of the family that you know were the only character who was like present in the actual show uh, was a baby in this timeline. So uh, it, it, it makes sense that like Tony Soprano to some extent would have a presence in this movie, uh, you know, even as a youngster, because he is such, you know, one of the most iconic TV characters of all time. So, uh, and it's well established from the canon in the show that he, you know, had a relationship with Dickie. So uh, what did you think, I guess, most importantly, uh, wh- what did you think about uh, this, this, this movie's portrayal of Tony? Cause it has to be shaded differently from the one we know from the show. And what did you think, how did you think it did in just kind of, you know, establishing his relationships with whether it be Dickie or Livia or, or just, uh, I guess with the audience and how we perceived him and uh, how he came off to you based on what you were expecting. I think he was about what I was expecting. I think the best part was that it answered several questions, mostly why was 
Dickie so vital in Tony's life to the point where Tony considered Chris to be, you know, his nephew, kind of like his son in a sense that was, yeah, because Johnny wasn't was, Johnny wasn't around for a lot of his childhood. Yeah. I mean, it makes very clear that Johnny is not the guy who molded or is responsible really for the, a lot of the decisions Tony makes later in life. Uh, it, a lot of that was Dickie and seeing that be set up. That was one of the great things about the Sopranos. And, and you really, I think, didn't see another show do that a high caliber show do that until Breaking Bad did with El Camino. You didn't really see a show run a course of six plus seasons and then still have some unanswered questions years later that fans are still wondering. And I think one of those fairly about the Sopranos, not only at the end, what happens to the other people in the diner, not named Tony um, at the end of the Sopranos. But I think that absolutely who is Dickie who what did he do to Tony to get him into this lifestyle did Tony really have a chance of being a collegiate football player like he claims and like his mother didn't have the makings of a varsity athlete yeah so I think a lot of that stuff you know people wanted to see more of and the latter part of my answer there I think is part of still why there's some divisive receptions to this is because you really don't get a great sense of I think what influenced Tony Soprano I think you it's a lot of it's hinted at and you see him start to become violent and act out and drop out of school but I don't think you see him really I think people wanted to see him it extend into his 20s where you see him start to actually get into the criminal world and maybe that could be the next prequel movie in a sense here but you don't really see him start to form his own crew i i think really and take things well, to the next level well it's funny that you say that about the crew because it, it kind of the, the movie and the show both kind of fudge all the ages and the timelines of these characters because you know tony is portrayed kind of as a contemporary of uh pussy Polly, and silvio in the sopranos and here he's like basically like 16 and all of them are at, at the very least in their late 20s. So, I mean, yeah, I, Silvio, like 70 years old when <laughs> he's when, already, when yeah, he's already already lost his hair. On. Yeah, yeah, he's already lost yeah. his hair. Yeah. So it's like they look way older than him here. And I think part of it speaks to the fact that obviously, you know, and I don't even know if this is what David Chase is thinking exactly but my take on that was one yeah like i mean we, we we could we could just go into his 20s at some point and michael gandolfini has said he would like to do it again and it's interesting if you read interviews with him he what we for you was his initial reaction is hell no when they asked him to do this he'd never even watched the sopranos because understandably very painful to do so given that his father died at too young of an age and he was the one that found his father uh when he died of a heart attack uh but like he said he said he wants to do it uh but it, it's interesting that like uh you you don't get to see him actually get to that point. I I mean I think it makes sense that he is at this point in this movie because you know I think it's in the original series they allude multiple times to the fact that like he you know could have done something else with his life. In the movie they they, they even the the guidance counselor saying how high of an IQ he has like he's a natural leader and I think that almost like with it goes without saying that like it in a way makes sense that hey he would have ended up like being effective enough when he chose that life that he would have ended up like even if he's 10 plus years younger, uh, working his way up ahead of Polly Silvio and pussy. So I think, I think that's interesting in and of itself, but yeah, 
there is like certainly room to revisit the world and do that if they want to, though I think it does a good job. I, th- I Yeah, I think it could do more if you had more time to be like exactly how did Tony end up like that? Though I think a lot of the scenes with his mother do a pretty good job of establishing some of that too. I mean, we know from the first two seasons of The Sopranos that he has this very complicated, toxic relationship with his mother. And you see here that like there are moments where he is a magnanimous and fun-loving guy enough that like yeah maybe hell with the right influences around him life could have gone differently but one he had a father that was in jail two he had a mother that you know every time he said the wrong thing could just go off on him and act like the most victimized person in the world Vera Farmiga does a great job of doing the Olivia Soprano Nancy Marchand impression and three he had picked a bad role model in Dickie too because Dickie's just not a good guy and I think a lot of this movie is doing the work of establishing that like Tony had the wrong role models and and he romanticizes this period of time when like hey things weren't actually as good as he likes to talk about how they were when he's talking to people in the late 90s and early 2000s so i think there's a lot there that like does kind of inform what tony grows up to be but yeah i think there's even more room to like if they want to continue in this world to show like hey here's what it looks like where tony like actually fully makes that turn beyond when he's just like initially being pushed away by Dickie, which I think we're led to believe had a really bad effect on him. But like, that's where I would definitely agree with you where it's like, okay, like Dickie kind of started distancing himself from Tony a little bit, but the movie's not that clear on how long that period of time actually is. And if it would be like actually be so long that it would have this effect on Tony, that it would cause him to like turn away from like, you know, having one foot in a pretty uh, straight edge life. Yeah. I think it, it, it's, it's pretty clear kind of like the end of the Sopranos that, itself that you're left to think that it was pretty impactful getting you know stuck you know stood up there at the diner that he wanted to impress um dickie for the rest of his life in a sense and following his shoes i think you're you're led to believe that that that's kind of where things are headed for him i i I thought that that was pretty powerfully uh done a good way to end it rather than you know kind of ending things in bloodshed just ominously foreboding whatever you want to call it with that scene there at the end but yeah the lack of influences in his life i think were extremely relevant well the other one the other one we haven't talked about is junior so what did you think about Corey stoll's portrayal of junior and and what we learned about him in this movie because i don't even know if we learned that much about him as much as learning that he's kind of always been the same guy who's just super petty well i think and i don't know if you've seen this out there but so the scene where it's revealed that the junior yes orders the hit that's a huge reveal from the sopranos that yeah this movie gets into i guess you can gain that knowledge because it also maybe oh, you, you... Call, calls in a question that the scene in in the sopranos where they killed a cop believing it was the former cop that oh we're, we're to- yeah so to- tony tony tells christopher that's the guy that killed your dad and yes. right, but we don't actually know because we, we we found out we find out that Junior ordered it. We don't know who actually like pulled so the trigger. So Tony definitely lied. Tony definitely lied in the Sopranos to test Chris because he was already not trusting Chris at the time. And I still have to re-see this stuff in my rewatch. I haven't got here, but he tests Chris because he Chris is heavy into drugs, and you know Chris goes and kills the cop, and he says, "I'm sorry." But the cop probably apologizes for nothing, just thinking it will save his life. And now we come to find out that, you know, Corrado is the guy who ordered the hit. 
Yeah, Tony, Tony, Tony has absolutely yeah. Tony has absolutely no way of knowing. Like, I yeah, I I I, I, I kind of left it thinking like I I forgotten that it was like a cop in the in the show and like I I mean like Tony has Tony was like not that involved. He has no way of knowing who pulled that trigger, uh, let alone who ordered the hit because we know he doesn't know that Junior did that. Just another example of how you can enjoy the movie more if you have a I think thorough knowledge of the Sopranos, and that's something I didn't really remember until I read up on the movie later. Oh yeah, that's not how things went down. But knowing that they answered that question in the movie as well as several others made me enjoy it even more the more I thought about it. Yeah. Again, I I, I kind of already touched on it, but I, I wanted to reiterate that I thought that the, the, the even if like yeah, there could hell there could have been more Tony in this movie because uh, I mean, thank God. I think a lot of people laughed at it when um when Michael Gandolfini was cast, thinking it was kind of stunt casting, though I think a lot of people that did that had not watched The Deuce, which is, you know, the David Simon show that, you know, he did for three years about Times Square through the 60s through the 80s and, you know, how it was influenced by like pornography and, you know, went through its own different changes. Um, Michael Michael Gandolfini had a supporting role in that and he was pretty solid in it. So I was never really worried that he was going to do a bad job of acting, but like it's pretty incredible that he got down you know, some of Tony's mannerisms and that he was able to do it that well. I think that really like helped with the scenes just with his mom. And that informed a lot of what you see in the first two seasons of the Sopranos and probably, you know, what kind of comes through him. And that's like kind of the biggest part of the movie that like really works for me. And I mean, I don't know what that says about it though, that like the stuff that works the most is the stuff that most heavily like reflects what's in the actual show. Whereas like, I'm sure David Chase wanted it to go like, go beyond that. Though, like I said, like there's definitely good stuff to take throughout the rest of the movie. Uh, did you have any other thoughts on any of the specific performances, whether it be like Vera Farmiga's, like I just said, I know your rewatch that you just did, uh, you know, included those first two seasons where uh, Livia was more prominently featured. Did you have any initial thoughts like seeing her or seeing any of the other characters in this movie? Because like we only get like a flashback of Johnny Soprano. Uh, a couple of different flashbacks of Johnny Soprano in the show. And here, I mean, hell, I think John Bernthal is an incredible actor. I could have seen more, but like, I think even his few scenes give a lot of insight into that family. So did any of these other performances with that had notable actors playing re- relatively, relatively small roles do much for you? Or did you have any other thoughts on just any of these other uh, storylines and how they kind of ref- informed what you already knew from watching the show? I thought Bear Farmiga was great. I thought John was great. I, I would have liked to see both have a little bit more in this movie mm-hmm. I, I would have liked to see a little more janice's background what was how did janice become so troubled in the sense i think you got less of a idea from some of her story in this why you know she kind of just clearly needed to get away was kind of like an oddball from the outset and but yeah i would like to know a little bit more about her i i wasn't really overly wowed by anyone's performance especially um james scandal or, or you know michael, michael gandolfini excuse me um I, I i wasn't wowed by his performance but i think that's to be expected when we saw that they were kind of casting based on likeness if you understand that i mean i think that he's going to be if he continues acting um i think he could be an extremely talented actor eventually but i i did get the sense there that his limits as an actor was part of the reason why this movie would have been less successful if it was entirely about Tony rather than or or involved heavily filming around Tony rather than just 
setting the scene for what he grew up amongst. I agree. Like I actually like him as an actor and uh and think he it's a, it's not an easy task to mimic your to literally mimic your father on screen like that. Uh but you know, it, it, I I don't know if he's in the level where you'd want to watch him like try and carry the whole movie and Alessandro Navarro is actually a fairly accomplished actor who never really got a shot like this. So it's cool that like it actually worked out well for him uh to play that specific character. Um as far as anything else, again, like I mentioned earlier, like I know people like talked a lot about how a lot of other people popped up. And yeah, like I'll, I'll just say like Silvio felt like a little more of a character. John Magaro is a really good actor. He uh, and I, I actually haven't seen the movie David Chase did with him in 2012, Not Fade Away. Uh, that also had James Gandolfini. And I really want to go back and watch it because I like everything else John Magaro does. It's just weird that they had him play Silvio because like Silvio is almost a character of a character in The Sopranos, but like to make John Magaro have to try and pull that off. Like I can't blame anyone for, for thinking that otherwise. Um, do you have a, I think, I don't know. I think we've like fairly well covered it. Uh, and th- this movie is like, you know, there've been so many people that have spilled so much ink and uh, taken, so, taken up so many minutes on their own respective airwaves talking about this, that like, I, I don't feel the need to be like hundred percent exhaustive in everything. I feel like we've talked about the stuff that like meant the most to us about this so far, but were there any other aspects of this movie, Graham, that you wanted to touch on that we hadn't gotten to yet? You know, I thought the cinematography was tremendous. I think that, I said that a lot of movies and shows have emulated the style, but I still was wowed and impressed by some of the shots that you saw in the movie. My dad, who grew up in uh, Grosseal, Michigan, right across from Detroit and remembers living through the Detroit riots when he was, you know, uh, in, in his teens, said that a lot of the stuff, the scenes seemed spot on. The historical references were great, so I got to mention a lot of that stuff. And has your has your dad seen has your, always, has your has your dad seen the movie Detroit that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, he has. Yeah, he thought I it mean, was uh, pretty tough to watch for him. Yeah, the, the well, I just remember like I think the that opening montage of Detroit where they're like depicting like it almost feels like a war scene when they're depicting one of those just uh, part of the riots going on and the camera is just going around to different parts of it. Like that, that to me was even more visceral than anything in the Sopranos. But as I mentioned, or more visceral than that to me was more visceral than just about anything in the many saints of Newark. But as I mentioned earlier, I thought they still did a pretty good job of shooting like set pieces and big riot action set pieces like that on this scale. Cause that's not something they ever really exactly tried to do in the show. Yeah, I think Detroit made you get a better understanding of the horror and the fear and anxiety that went on in that time, especially, obviously, if you're a minority. Um, It was just a horrible time, you know, in America to be black, you know, to be completely honest. So, yeah, just the way that it was depicted, you have to, I think, do it with respect. And I think that to be effective and i think that detroit and many saints in newark both did a, a very good job because yeah you know maybe in 2021 even though this movie was filmed a little bit earlier what you said earlier you know david chase must have realized that he hadn't really i think fairly addressed the full complexity of racial relations in newark with the sopranos and when you have this other monumental show at the network at HBO, the wire that I think did such a great job of tapping into the 
uh, you know, racial tensions, socioeconomics of Baltimore, the complexities of, of crime in the area, you name it. Uh, you know, I, I think part of David Chase realizes that he did, in a sense, as great as The Sopranos is, did fall short in examining how complex the situation surely was. It was kind of, you know, a whitewashing in a sense at the time. And I think that this is a, a good attempt to establish that it only became like that in a, in a way because there was a massive racial conflict three decades prior. Yeah, but it, well, it's just, it, well, it's also though implied in like the post credit scene that like, hey, Harold actually kind of like accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. So it almost like begs the question a little more like, well, if whatever uh, black gangs that were, had risen to some level of power and uh, notoriety in Jersey in the seventies, like we're able to keep it going even, um, even after the, at, at that point, like what, what, where were they to be found in the late nineties, early two thousands? So it's, it's interesting. Like, I think, uh, yeah, we're not going to go back and have more Sopranos content from that particular point in time where the original show aired, but like there's like plenty of meat on the bone. If like the powers that be decide like, Hey, we do want to explore this more. It's like, be like, yo, what did Harold do for the, the next 25 years? Uh, and that, that, that would be interesting to me. Uh, any, any final thoughts before we wrap up, Graham? No, I think we did a pretty good job covering this movie. Yeah. I'll just say like, uh, this is like a spoilery episode, but I mean, uh, if it, I would just tell anyone that actually listened to this point to make the pitch to anyone else that's thinking about seeing it or is worried that like, it's not going to do it for them because it's not as good as the Sopranos. Like, if you go around like determining what pop culture you're going to watch based on like, if it's as good as the Sopranos, you're not going to watch a lot of stuff. Uh, I think this, I think this movie has like plenty of things in it that like, uh, even if like, yeah, it's not going to be as good as an average episode of the Sopranos because an average episode of the Sopranos is like, you know, better than 90% of what is on television now. But I feel like that is something I've seen a lot of critics saying. And I'm like, I, I sure it's, yeah, it's not, it's not as good as the Sopranos, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have like value on its own. I think it actually does have, a lot of value on its own and you shouldn't just get too bogged down in um, thinking it's going to have to, or you shouldn't get too bogged down in thinking, Oh, it's not as good as like other content I've seen in this universe. Like fine. But there is plenty of here, whether it be the performances or some of these stories that are like very, very effective. So I recommend folks see it. Uh, Graham, anything you want to plug before you sign off any social media or any other, uh, or any other movies or TV shows you've been watching, you want to direct people to? I uh, know. Just follow me on Twitter at Graham Hall underscore. Right now, I just started watching Squid Game and watching a few other things. But yeah, I yeah. still don't know. I, I didn't know. I did not even know that Squid Game was a thing that existed until two days before we are now recording this. And apparently, it is the biggest. It's on track to be the most watched thing on Netflix ever. So I'm gonna have to like make that a priority at some point in the next week. So yeah, if you can see the parasite poster in the background oh, yeah. um, while we're on Zoom here. You know, I, I'm watching it. We're going to watch it with Korean subtitles or with with the original you know, dialogue with English subtitles. So I'm looking forward to it. I only, we only, you know, one episode in, but I'm excited to watch it. I'm seeing everyone's reviews and I, I want to, I want to be part of the memes, man. You know? Yeah. My friend and a uh, regular contributor to the podcast, Maya said, don't you dare watch that dubbed. And I was like, all right. Yes. I, I, Good. I, Good I, 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 I will not do that. Okay. I guess my one plug is, Look, uh, I, I don't blame anyone that sees the preview and is like, probably not for me. But like, if you just want to have a fun time at the movies and like in 94 minutes, uh, go see Venom, Let There Be Carnage. 
movie is freaking delightful and it's absurd and ridiculous and like honestly like all the best ways i feel like i i came out of it on like even more of a high than i did on the first venom movie back in 2018 in 2018 i remember like I, and i did not feel the need to go rewatch uh, the original venom but like i remember thinking like i really only liked like half of that movie and whereas this one is just like you know it pumps up the absurdity throughout and it is a lot of fun throughout it's not not going to call it high art, but like I was smiling for like a lot of the movie and in a way that I only have for a few movies this year. So I honestly have not even like, I haven't talked to enough people about that movie yet. I don't know who will join for a podcast on it, but like I feel like I need to do a podcast on it because apparently it's like had a legitimately great opening weekend for like one of the biggest on this particular weekend ever pandemic or not. So it's, it's been a big enough deal that we'll probably be talking about it a little more in depth at some point in the next few weeks. So uh, definitely recommend going to your theater for that. Again, it's like, it's under a hundred minutes. It's so like really basically a 90 minute commitment when you take out the credits. So definitely recommend Venom, let there be carnage. Uh, as usual, I'm Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on Twitter and Letterboxd. The podcast Twitter is at Rewind Movie Pod. The podcast email is the Rewind Movie Pod at gmail.com. Uh, coming up next, if I put out this in, I, if I, if whatever the next one I record is the very next podcast, that'll probably actually be the 200th episode of the Rewind. Uh, I feel like it might end up being on No Time to Die. That would be an appropriate big movie to do it on. Uh, I think our friends Daniel and Fred might be joining for that. They're like, it's just like a crazy movie uh, month this October because we got uh, we got the new Halloween movie. We got Dune uh, and a, f- a few other things that like I'm just like not even thinking about right off the top of my head. So just a huge movie month and uh, a lot coming up. So everyone, thanks to listening. And kills. Yeah, Halloween Kills. That's it. Yeah, I keep I keep forgetting it because it's just like there's so many Halloween movies out there. I keep worrying I'm gonna like mix <laughs> them up. Uh, but yeah, we got Halloween Kills coming up along with uh, along with Dune and No Time to Die. So everyone, thank you for listening. Thanks again to Graham for joining me, and we'll see you next time.